so some have called me a Marxist. Um, and if that were true, and if I got together every other week with my direct action group under the guise of a sewing circle, and if in the community center we broke out the whiteboards and started brainstorming things to do to weaken the bourgeoisie before the revolution comes, way down on that whiteboard, and I mean way, way down, would be getting a white guy named Singh and the former CEO of Juicero to unleash a targeted cholera outbreak on the richest and stupidest people in, in uh, San Francisco. We wouldn't have tried that one. No. But I'll be damned if that's not the one that would work. They're so gonna I'm going to cheers today to Raw Water, the greatest revolutionary psyop the proletariat has ever devised, and the targeted diphtheria outbreak that is now going to tear through the intestines of San Francisco, literally. To Raw Water. Prost. Hey everybody, I'm Caleb. I'm Spencer. And this is the Mix Six, our podcast where we have six beers, give them ratings, and discuss other often unrelated things that have nothing to do with beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are your ho- hosts, Spencer and Caleb. And horse. And horse. Mm-hmm. Uh, I almost said horse, which would have been better, but we aren't horses. We aren't horses. We're very much closer to the other two things than we are horses. I'm going to be clear about it that. It is true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all right. Sounds Except for fact. producer Ross, yeah. who's become a centaur after watching Bright. Or he had, he had, he at least I, he at least identifies that way. Um, all right. Anyway, uh, this episode we're having a fun little theme that you've developed for us. So wh- why don't you uh, why don't you let us in on it? Sure. Spencer? So um, we know that uh, a number of people that listen to the podcast are not drinkers in the first place. So all of the beer ratings are probably lost on them, or at least they don't really they don't tune in for the beer. Is mm-hmm. what I'm saying. Although I would imagine the rating systems are entertaining. Yeah, they're you're fantastic. welcome. Yeah. You're welcome. Um, and I also know that some of our listeners, community members, are gluten intolerant or gluten free for one reason or another. And so I thought, well, it's time that we just try some gluten free beers um, and see if we can't come up with a way to say, hey, these gluten free beers are better than these other gluten free beers. And maybe that will provide some guidance. Now, if you're gluten free and you drink, chances are you've already tried all these beers and you've exhausted your options. Uh, but this is our opportunity to speak your language a little bit. And, and our first try of all of these beers. Right. It, look, I don't, I, and I'm not trying to spoil the bit here, but I don't expect much out of this. And so it's really <laughs> possible that if I give something a five, as a gluten-free beer. It adjusts to like a tin. Yeah, that's a, that's exactly right. Or in some you're ways... like Harrison Bergeron. You're doing ballet with like all of the weights on all of right. your limbs and the mass that makes you all gross. It's also kind of like just a three, because like <laughs> this gluten-free beer tastes like beer, which is usually a three for me. Um, so anyway, in today's rating system, where we'll be evaluating gluten-free beers, um, we're working on a scale of one to five. If you've listened to any of our podcasts before, any of our podcasts before, you know that we rate our beers on a rotating five-point scale. Uh, a one is the worst beer that you've ever had. A five is the best beer that you've ever had. And somewhere in the middle is a three, which is totally normal. The average expectation, you got what you were looking for when you opened that can or bottle. So in our rating system this week, we're going to use video game console controllers. Um, This is a conversation inspired by my recent purchase of the Switch, which is largely based on your enthusiastic recommendation Mm -hmm. that I purchase a Switch. Yes. And 
Uh, I think the Switch got most things right. I think that it absolutely crushed Breath of the Wild. It might be the most um, insanely good game I've played in recent memory. Certainly one of the five best games I've ever Mm -hmm. played. But the Joy-Con has been puzzling to me, and so it got me thinking about what do I like about video game controllers and what don't I? So... Hold on, let me get this out of the way. The only controller is a keyboard. All right, now that the PC gamers are appeased, right, and, yeah. you know, we've made their comments for them. Uh, go on. looking at me? Why am I looking at you? Why am I doing that? Right, yeah, why are we, Ross? Okay, so a one. Um, in this case, a controller that was uh, all wrong in all the wrong ways, the Dreamcast. <laughs> I see him in garage sales and stuff. I was like, oh, look at that goofy-ass little what thing. What the fuck were you thinking? What's that little circle, like, little rectangle screen in the middle of yeah, it. But yeah, you put a cartridge co- in there that showed you shit about your game or your save file yeah, no or something. no one knew what was going on. And then it also, it also like, encased that in the world's largest control. It was larger than the Dreamcast itself. It was like <laughs> holding, a, holding a flotation device and playing a video game. So, uh, if that beer is that bad, it's a Dreamcast controller. A two for me, and along the similar lines, the original Xbox controller. So they quickly remedied this by providing like a much smaller pro-style controller. Oh but the God. original Xbox controller... You could, you could do damage. Unmanageably large. Like, and I was at a period where throwing a controller at someone Absolutely. was a thing that happened. And then, like, then you go to the hospital. Because yeah. that shit is like a brick. My hands <clears> would <throat> cramp trying to hold and reach buttons on that mm-hmm. thing. I felt like I needed a third operator in there just to, like, get to the <laughs> X button. Um, a three this week is your run-of-the-mill kind of standard for controllers. And in this case, a standard for a gluten-free beer. And we're really freewheeling it here, people. Um, <laughs> best guess, the PlayStation Dual Tr- DualShock controller is just great it's yeah. it's right in the middle it's got everything that you need everything is available it's in your ergonomic thumb design radius. that everyone's trying to copy absolutely you know that winged out <clears throat> grip is pretty nice uh, i also should say that like playstation bias here gotta be honest having been through a number of xbox and playstation consoles i continue to come back to the playstation maybe their controllers are a reason for that i don't mm-hmm. know anymore a four now we're getting into the good stuff something that you want to drink again or in this case a controller that you want to use super nintendo Built really nicely on the NES controller, added the rounded, kind of like beveled oh, yeah. approach, and then also added the second row of buttons. No, no sharp corners. That's right. Yeah. The second row of buttons and made them diagonal. And it worked incredibly well for a number of the NES games, in particular Super Mario World, where it put the kind of buttons that you needed to be pushing at the same time on top of one another so you could accomplish both tasks with just a thumb, which is very nice. Mm. And for me, and I know this is a little bit contentious, but a five, something that breaks beer for you in all the right ways, or in this case, it's kind of the quintessential video game controller. It's the Wiimote. Like, I think the Wiimote is fucking brilliant. First, by and large, the motion stuff worked really well. It changed the way that I thought about a controller, not just as an avenue for my thumbs and fingers to do things, but my whole arm or hand or body to do things. Well, grandma can use it, and that's saying something. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it was accessible, we might Mm -hmm. say. And when you flipped it sideways, and this is where I'm running into problems with the Joy-Con on the Switch, when you flip the Wiimote sideways, it was still large enough and substantive enough to feel like a controller. Whereas the Joy-Con, man... That the well the the directional button is in the middle of one side. Right, of it. exactly. Yeah, so it's you, terrible. You don't want that one. No, absolutely yeah. not. So good on you, Nintendo, for the Wiimote. We can talk later about the Joy-Con, but you've done everything else so well. But for the Wii U, I'm cool for now. <laughs> so that's how we'll be rating and reviewing beers this week. On that note, we're going to grab a beer. We're going to grab a topic, and we'll be back in just a second to talk about dissecting our phone.
Caleb, what are you drinking? I am going to drink the Dora Dam Lager. Mm-hmm. D-A-M-M. Yeah. Not and like, I think damn. That, I think that's the font I used for Red Market, so I mean, I'll give it that much. There's like a little bulletproof like side of a mm-hmm. military vehicle to it, which is odd, if I'm being totally honest. Like a stencil kind of thing? Yeah. Oh, nope. Yep. Ugh. He's got to put his tongue out in a weird <laughs> Okay. Um, I'm going to try that again. Maybe it was just the first one. I don't think it was the I don't first think one. beer changes between sips. Well, it can. <laughs> it does for me. Things often move from two to right. one and three right. to two. They never move up for what it's worth. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Right, it's, a, it's an original Xbox. So oh, that's only a two. Yeah, it's a lager. Um, it's got some skunk on it. Sure. Uh, but that could be because of how it was stored or transferred or its lack of wheat. Uh, I don't know, but um, the skunk hits you way in the back of the throat, which yeah. is odd. Normally, try normally you get the skunk in the nose, but it's like a it's a uvula skunk, which was my name, uh, maybe my high school Scott band. If, uh, and I understand this is a loaded our, our question. Our hit song was Uvula Skank. Oh, okay. okay. Come uh, on, that was great. Not an awesome point. Uh, <laughs> I understand this is a loaded question. If for some reason you couldn't have gluten, is this a beer that you would go back to? Uh, yes. If I couldn't have gluten, I would need to get very drunk before I starved to death. Um, so, uh, I, I think I couldn't oh. be picky. Yeah. Actually, I don't mind that. Eh. That, on this scale, that might be a three for me, even. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. It's definitely not a one. It's not no, even close to it's a one. it's absolutely not a one. This is starting better than I thought it would. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm already more excited for this whole evening mm-hmm. than I initially was. Um, while you drink that, we're into our first segment, which, as you know, if you've listened before, is Dissecting Our Fun, where we talk about games, game mechanics, games we recently played, games that we like or don't like. And in today's conversation, we're going to cover all of that, yeah. um, because we are talking about time I stories. I don't know if I'm ready for this, just I, to be clear. I typically don't make a lot of notes for this segment. I just like kind of enjoy the act of organically talking about these things. I've made a number of notes about time stories. <laughs> yeah. Because we As finally, we did while playing time stories. Oh my God, did we make some notes. So we finally sat down uh, last weekend. This will be a spoiler-free review, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Last weekend or two weekends ago, um, and we sat down and carved mm-hmm. out what ended up being like four and a half hours, I think, for our first playthrough of time stories, which is a game that we have been wanting to play yes. for six, eight months, and mm-hmm. you got for your birthday, I think. Yes. Um, and so we've been... Uh, for those who haven't heard of it, then we might explain what Time Stories is. Yeah, absolutely. Is. Yeah. Jump in So uh, Time Stories is a game. It's basically like a cross between Groundhog's Day and... Quantum Leap. Quantum Leap. You're jumping into other people's bodies. You're sort of these Yithian time monsters, but you're people, and you're trying to solve time crimes and, and temporal problems. Um, <clears throat> so... As you're doing that, you you it's not quite legacy play because you're not changing the board. However, the deck of cards you're moving through, which is your scenario, is a finite play. So once you solve it, there is no reason to do it again because the premise is to, uh, with your time units, the amount of time you have while the machine will turn on and throw you back, to uh, make your use of time as efficient as possible. So essentially, without giving anything away about the story, you're trying to speed run this single RPG scenario by like making the, you know, no clip through the wall and, and maximizing uh, your kind of thing, getting the, getting the item you need for the quest before you get the quest, that kind of stuff. Um, and it's, it is very much about, you know, sort of testing these types of things yeah. and then developing new strategies based on that information um, and moving through it. The thing I did, Ooh, my phone fell down. Right. The thing I did not anticipate is the fact that it uh, is also kind of like a locked room game. Yeah. 
which I didn't know was part of it at all. That was the, I think the part that kept shocking me the most is every time we would run into something and I'm like, well, fuck. Like, I mean, are we so far down this line that we've forgotten to look at any given clue anywhere else and we're now stuck, right? We got to figure out how to get back out of this. Um, Yeah, I was shocked at the um, depth, I guess maybe is the right word, of the, yeah, the locked room problem that Mm -hmm. you run into almost everywhere. I mean, that's kind of the premise of the game. Yes. Drive you to a bunch of locked rooms and then figure out the fucking puzzle. Mm -hmm. Um, So... We it was unique in us is that <clears throat> we did not do well. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I think by comparison, we probably did okay. It's yeah. kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but it took us a long time to get through it. And there was a point in the game where it was getting very frustrating, terribly tense, extremely frustrating. Um, the fun was leaking out of the room yes. until we figured one thing out. Right, and then it was one of the most like. Exhilarating. Accelerating, yep. you know, vibrant game experience. We're have. We're running around the room. We're shouting. Like, we're, we're like, high five. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're, and then, like, we're planning our next run after we, you know, break through the thing we had to break through. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was odd. Because it's, it's real finicky. There's a ton of note taking. ton of note taking. Damn, it can get frustrating. But when you beat that part, it is really, at least the first time, was super exhilarating. Oh, I totally agree. I've never felt better ending a board game than yeah. I felt ending Time Stories. I mean, like, literally the rest of the evening, I talked about how awesome Time Stories was. And here we are two weeks later almost, and I'm still talking about Time Stories. Oh, we're probably playing this weekend. Like, yeah, absolutely. Later, yeah. We should play the expansion. Yeah, yeah we should try yeah. a new one. I mean, the thing is, and this is kind of why I wanted to talk about Time Stories, we can talk about the mechanics, we can talk about the setting, we can talk about the use of characters, and, and, and I do want to talk a little bit about the balance between what felt a little bit, you know, non-chronological RPG-oriented for me and more guardrailed gaming. But I think at the end of the day, one of the things that we don't talk about enough sometimes is, are games just fucking fun? Like, do they force you to sit down and think, and then do you have fun doing it, or do you feel great after having done it? Yeah. And Time Stories, man, at least for me... That's what it accomplished. Like, yeah. I felt awesome. It, after was a, playing. it was a very engaging puzzle. It was. And we've played a ton of new games in the last two or three weeks. Yes. Scythe, Number 9, Burgle Brothers, Photosynthesis. I mean, we've just been rolling new games out mm-hmm. since Christmas. And they've all been cool, and I've liked all of them, and I want to talk about mechanical issues with a lot of them and interesting concepts and strategies, and we'll do that in forthcoming Dissecting Our Fun segments. But I didn't end any Nothing one was of quite those so games. original right. as that. I didn't end any one of those games thinking, "Holy shit, that's the that's the best board game experience I've ever had." It was very much like working through a um, pick your own, choose your own adventure novel, yeah. but with your friends, right? Which which was a very odd experience that yeah. I never had before. It was it was sort of like a crowdsourced choose your own adventure novel. Um, and then uh, another thing I found kind of interesting from my RPG space the 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 sneaky like sort of hidden mechanic of it is. The it's it's technically an RPG. You are playing a character, and characters facing, and there is a narrative. Yeah, and you, but the narrative itself, the puzzle, which is very RPG. Yeah, but um, it is not anything where you have to like require role playing or you need to play your no. character. Um, you could, if you wanted to emergent play it, do that um, and play your character, which might be kind of fun. It might be kind of try with the guys, but. Um, uh, the the sort of core like sneaky underground mechanic is metagaming. Right. Like like at certain points you need to be like, oh well that guy's a red herring. Right. Like and that's core to your survival in the game mechanic because he's gonna waste your time. It's gonna be like, oh no, we shouldn't 
Well, you shouldn't talk to that guy. Or that guy's that guy's going to be like a waste of resources. Right. Thinking about how, as you learn more and more, and you're redoing the setting now, but you've learned some information. Not thinking about the characters per se, but rather about the unique attributes of any given yeah. character, and saying, "Well, because of your unique attribute, you should go down this path because we know where it goes." But mm-hmm. we also know now that we know where it's going. Your skill set would be best for that, and you should go down this path, and you should go down this path. And so the RPG element, which we've talked about before, is something that occasionally would make me be like, Ugh. the the characters and their traits were really accents to the story. I mean, yeah. they supplemented what it was you yeah. were trying to accomplish, as did the setting. You were hijacking their bodies. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So. And, I, and I really appreciated that. The other thing that I really liked about it, and the places where I was both kind of like really uncomfortable, but also really enjoying myself, is in a really nice balance that the game cultivates between, no, this is the right path, go this way, here are the mm-hmm. guardrails, and... Also, maybe the solution is not something that's in front of you and you've got to get really fucking creative and out there. I mean, there was about a 30-minute window where we sat kind of looking at a couple of the different items we'd collected and literally just brainstorming, like, would it be fucking insane if these small little things on each one of these individual cards spoke to some greater thing that we're not seeing here? And we have very little um, information from the game which suggests that's the way to go. We also have enough information from the game which suggests maybe you should explore stuff you shouldn't yeah, explore. And, and also you get items that have clues, but the basic premise of going back and failing a run and tarting it again is that you're a goddamn time traveler. Right. And so you remember those clues. So sometimes when you get an item that gave you a clue, you wrote the clue down. Right. And so you don't need to go back and get that item. And so you're saving time units on this run. Right. And so you're trying to piece it together out of all these different runs. But then like the causality of the whole thing gets really messed up. Right. The the one thing I'm kind of interested in as we try the expansions is, would we like it as much if we did better? Because we fully engaged with that deck of cards. Yeah, I don't we think saw, so. Right. We saw every, every, every card in there. Up. We saw everything in the design. Yeah. Because we got so stuck, and we just touched everything. Yeah. So I, I'm wondering, like, if we, if we just you know, stumbled ass over tea kettle and do it, would we have been like, well, what the hell is that? No, and Especially with the price. Uh, yeah. Because, like... I'm not going to play that scenario again unless I'm, like, no. showing time stories to somebody else. And then I'll probably, like, just tow them out to do time stories and watch them play it yeah. and not engage in it. And so. frankly, I don't have five hours for that. It's kind but, of how yeah, I feel. But it was five hours. Right. Yeah, it was a solid five hours of gaming. It, it was – if you think of gaming as a, uh, you know, time time to money equation, mm-hmm. uh, look, you're not going to play it a million times. Yeah, not a great damn, investment. Hot yeah. damn, are you going to get a good five hours it's out of a, it? Or at least we did. Yeah. I think you're totally right. Had we, had we lucked through it or just made – I don't even want to say a better decision here, just a different decision, because so many of these times you don't have any information, so you're just making a decision. It's hard to say that you're making a better or worse decision because you're kind of guessing with little information. Yeah. Had we made a different decision, would we have finished the game sooner? Yeah, probably. Would I have enjoyed it as much? Probably not. I think one of the things that I liked about it so much is that there was a legitimate moment at the table where I, I kind of felt like we all hated each other a little bit. Oh, yeah. And then we still played the game and beat the game, and I think that made it. It, feel it was better. very much time is running out, locked room mystery. Like, right. Well, this was a waste of my hour. Right. Like, you which know, one of you am no I going to eat first? Yeah, when like, I got no food left. Exactly. Yeah. It, but it, then it completely reversed. Yeah. yeah. Um, I I will. I've been very impressed. I, I here's what I don't know for listeners though. I just didn't know what to ask for for my birthday, so I'm just like, oh, I like this game, Time Stories. And then I ended up getting every expansion. Which is good news. Which is new, good, because I want to try it again, and I want to experience it. Yeah. But I don't know if I'd have bought them. Here's the thing. I was going to say, I-, I cannot in good conscience recommend that you go buy Time Stories, <laughs> because it's terribly expensive, yeah. and the base game, you'll get one playthrough. Now, that playthrough may take you a while. I can demand you go find a fool that has 
bought time stories like and us borrowed and the borrow fuck the out fuck of out of that. Absolutely. Uh, because that that's the way to do it right, right there. But or if you're looking to spend... Rent that a, shit from Blockbuster. A decent amount of money on games and you got time to kill, and you want to do like a blowout game night with some friends, yeah, I can't recommend Time Stories enough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, it, yeah, it does what have it says on the box. Yeah. and like refreshments. Have food, You're going to be there a while. Right. It's going to look like that room at in like Apollo 13 when they're trying to figure out if it, like lots yes. of cigarette smoke, you're going to loosen your tie. Right. It's going to get, it's going to get tense in there. Play with people whose feelings are not easily hurt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because you're going to yeah. say some shit to people. You're not going to mean it. Brandy and I almost got divorced like four, <laughs> or nine times in there like it but you know what you just do it and then you get through it all and you're like fuck yes we beat this game i mean it was a it was a really cool experience so uh if you can find it play it if you want to buy it do it just know that you're only playing it once uh and if you don't want to take any of this advice and uh just go okay that sounds cool never play it that's fine too um we're gonna grab another beer we'll be right back Spencer, what are you drinking? So this is from Anheuser-Busch. It is a Redbridge gluten-free sorghum beer made without wheat or barley. Sorghum molasses. So here we go. Um, still water Oh, roll. my. <laughs> Doesn't smell great. Oh, you getting the vapors? Fan yeah, him, Ross. We, we don't want to... Fan him. Yes. He doesn't want to be late for his cotillion. <laughs> uh, no. No, I don't care. Um... I'm not going to cotillion. I, don't, I reject society. I, I will. I will not wear those gloves. Um, no, that is not good. The Dardam is much better. Um, this. Well, I suppose I have to try it now. This tastes like it doesn't know what it wants to be, and so it ends up being nothing. Um, I do not care for that beer. I have to be honest. Um, I would not recommend. Is bar- that what raw water is? Yeah, maybe. Um, it, it's the bright of beers. It's slightly chewier than water. Oh. Um, that's a one. Uh. That's a one for me. And it's not just a one for me because it's a gluten free beer. It's a one for me. Like if I drank a gluten beer and it tasted like that. No, I've never heard of one is harsh. Beers. That's like a. That's a two. That's a two. Are you what? Are you kidding? It's not offensive. It's not not offensive. Is how but, I feel but about ones that. are ones are Stillwaters, man. I'll, listen, I'll think you on know it. when you had a Stillwater. No, that's well. Okay, I think it's unfair like, to you say. You got like no, you get kicked in the jaw. Like yeah, fine, Caleb. It's a two. There, that's what we'll do. <laughs> I convinced we'll just, you of a rating. We'll just do this. I don't. <laughs> yes, I'm, someone supercut me with the rules of persuasion. Don't do that. And then post that online. If someone lose the rules. Someone lose the rules of persuasion. <laughs> Maddie, lose the rules of persuasion. Um, while I drink this, uh, we're into Armchair Director, which is our segment about movies. It was also your number two vote-getter this week. But we're doing things a little bit differently this time. Normally, we just talk about movies in the segment about movies. But we got this great question from James D. Burns, um, who came to visit us while we were at Metatopia. We had a great time talking mm-hmm. to him. He brought yeah. us some delicious beer. Yes, hi, James. Super helpful on the Board Game Geek forums uh, and with Party Foul. Thank you so much, James. James asked us this really interesting question. What beers would you recommend to drink while watching the original Star Wars trilogy? So I kind of want a sound effect here that's like mix six f- 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 fusion, yeah, and then like a big bow. Are we gonna? Are you gonna, you gonna make a? That, you gonna add that in? Have a mm. 
No, okay, yeah. So yeah, like a lightsaber mm. sound. <laughs> um, so what we did is we've taken it, and it's an armchair director thing because it's about movies mm-hmm. and what's happening in the movie, or at least as I've interpreted it. But it's also a pro drinker, a professional drinker segment, which is not something we've done in a while. Yeah. So we've kind of combined them thanks to this wonderful question from James. So here's what I've done. I've broken mine down thematically from film to film, starting with episode four, moving through episode six. I went a different way. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll jump in there. You start first. I went with setting. Oh, so like beer by planet. What? Yeah. Okay. So I have a little bit like what? To, what would you drink on Hoth? I've yeah. Got yeah. Some of exactly. That yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. You jump in first with. Uh, all right. You want to start at episode four? Uh. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I mean, get in there. Uh, so what is it? Tatooine? No. Uh, what is the what's the one? Dagobah? I can't remember. What, uh, <laughs> what, what is the planet? Tell me. The what? desert one. That's Tatooine. The one that Luke yeah. is. Bl- yeah. There we go. I got it. Yeah. I got it right. Okay. Tatooine. Okay. Yeah. Tatooine. Uh. So I. God. I want a ginger lemon Rattler. Yeah, it's hot. You want something light, refreshing. Yeah, light, refreshing. A summer beer. For shooting womp rats. Yep. I mean, that's why those... Bullseyeing That's why those sand people are so angry. They're no Rattler. They're thirsty. They have no Rattler. Yeah. Yeah, Their local convenience store. Yeah. They've only got Coors Light there. (laughs) Oh, God. It's terrible. They've only got that cranberry (laughs) shit. The Death Star (laughs) made a... Missed a planet. (laughs) Whoa. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I think this is a good call. I, I... You know, I... I had similar thoughts. I, I took it in a little different direction. So thematically for me, A New Hope is light. It's fun. There's a sense of discovery. Um, and it's a story about a farm boy who becomes uh, a universal cosmic hero. And so try something light. Try something fun. Be a little adventurous. Um, all of the McKellar Berliner vices, the fruit forward Berliner vices, make a lot of sense here. In mm-hmm. the same way the Ginger Limer Radler does. Yeah. They're light. They're crisp. You could drink a ton of them. Um, and they're fun. There's not too much depth there, you know. Kind of like episode four. It's like, oh yeah, this is kind of stupid and fun, but man, we're all having a lot of a lot of good times, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you could more literally interpret the uh, the farm boy turned cosmic hero, and you could drink a farmhouse. So might I suggest some saisons, some ales ooh, that ooh, nice. are are spice forward, coriander forward. In particular, I would suggest any of the saisons uh, uh, from American Solera out of Tulsa. In mm-hmm. fact, when I was visiting uh, Andrew Baswell and Holly Hasenfranz Hotel Hotel a few weeks ago in Oklahoma City, uh, I tried a uh, farmhouse brewed with a brett. Um, mm. uh, from American Solera out of a beer truck that was fucking delicious. Yeah, I feel like that's a violation of many laws. It is, and it was awesome. <laughs> um, I would also suggest uh, Crooked Stave, who I'll talk about here in just a few minutes, uh, out of Denver, who makes some of the best sours we've ever had, like the Labrette de Raspberry. Um, they are now canning their Bretts in the Bread Anomacies series, and so would highly recommend that people drink those to stay true to the farmhouse farm boy turned cosmic hero. Uh, I, I, I am going to move on with New Hope because I, I, I go by setting. Okay. Uh, I, I'm going to go with the trash compactor, Omnipolo's Sploing, which tastes like it was brewed in one. It's a real offensive uh, So beer. it's real fitting with it. I imagine there's some sort of one-eyed snake creature in the bottom of every bottle. I drank it. Uh, sort of defecating into The raw it. water. Yeah, the, the raw water of beers. Yeah. With also, its- someone mentioned to us on Twitter, I think today... That a friend of theirs who is familiar with that brewery claims mm-hmm. that it is pronounced Omnipalo. I will pronounce it right when uh, I have Omnipalo. something other than that one beer. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, you, <laughs> look, you named a beer Sploing, so I don't think you get to talk about what you want to be called. But, but I just, yeah, I thought, it, I thought, it, I thought it was worth sharing that information. <laughs> You've lost rights. Right, that's right. That's right. Anything for uh, the, the, the final acts of episode four, or are you moving on to episode five now? Uh, I mean, it's more Death Star, so the aridness of space is preferable to an omnipotent. So but something, something kind of dry. Space is a bush light. 
Oh, I think that's a good idea. Yeah. I thought that a bush light might be the um, uh, uh, Uncle Owen and Aunt Veru kind of like workmanlike setting originally as I was yeah, playing with yeah. this in my Oh, mind. yeah. And then, I, and then I moved on from yeah, it. Yeah, Luke started on bush light. Right, that's yeah. exactly right. Is there charred corpses at the still water? <laughs> oh, absolutely there are. I assume it's just skeletons. No, I mean, the- there's like, we've had some good smoky, like smoky porters. We have. And, and uh, stouts. Yeah. Like, you could drink a aunt and uncle stout there like with the sort of uh, a <laughs> ashy taste in it <laughs> i don't like where this is gone uh we're on to episode five so empire strikes back right okay so i know you're going i know you're going setting let me go thematically here yeah the films mean very little to me right uh, conceptually so right. I, I had to just go by visual cues <laughs> so i thought look empire it's it's deeper it's more introspective it's got some complexity there are some twists and turns you don't see coming mm-hmm. i won't ruin anything for you also if you don't know what happens at the end of empire and you listen are in the middle yeah, of the we are going to ruin right. that for yeah. you just to be clear. So I'm looking I'm looking first and I've got a couple of different suggestions here. I'm looking for something uh, with a little bit of depth to it. So I would suggest the Three Philosophers by Omegong. Um, starts out tasting one way, you go through a variety of flavors, you get some of that like robust cherry maltiness on the back end. Um, and I think that it's probably in terms of depth of flavor, one of the most interesting complete beers that we've had over the last mm-hmm. year and year and some months now. Um the rest of my stuff now is about what to drink on Hoth. So oh, yeah, I imagine that's where you wanted to jump yeah. in, so I'll let you go. Uh, Milf, Abraxas are good. Uh, no shit. The first two that I listed are Milf and Abraxas. Well, I mean, they're warm. Like, you right. want to be warm. You want you want to crawl inside that beer like a ban- bantha? Tauntaun. Tauntaun. Who are you? I don't know what they're called. The the big ones. Yeah. They, you cut them open and you crawl inside of them. Uh, I would also recommend... So you're all, just a fake fanboy is what you're saying. Right. I, we all when did you, I claim to be a fan of Star Wars? We all know how Star you Wars. feel about Star Wars, Caleb. Yeah, we, like, yeah, we I, were all I'm there. literally on the record of not giving shit. Uh, a 1776, uh, I would drink. Okay. It's yeah. got the pepper on it. It's, yeah. It gives a warmth. warmth down the esophagus. I was going to suggest uh, Prairie Artisan Ale's Christmas Bomb mm. along the same lines. I, that's a sneaky good pull. Isn't it? Yeah. Uh, it's a delicious beer, super drinkable, high ABV. It creates some warmth because it's got like some clove and cinnamon on the back end. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also just fucking delicious. Yeah. So jump in there on that. Um, anything else for Empire for you, or is it just stuff to drink when you're cold? Uh, okay, Yoda. What plant? Is that Dagobah? Dagobah. Dagobah that's the swamp. I see plant. I got it. Yeah. I'm too, right. I'm oh, two swamp. Uh, yeah, that would be Stillwater Artisan Ales, uh, Goza Gone Wild. That would be the Dark Side Cave in uh, Dagobah. Yeah, it's Goza Gone Wild. It literally tasted like a swamp. Okay, but here's the thing. Yoda's pretty laid back. I think Yoda drink a Corona. I think when Luke's not there, Yoda's sort of chilling out with a Corona. Maybe a lime. Can I? Does a little frothy move with it. Can I make a suggestion? Goodness is. I like where your head's at, but I actually think Yoda might be more of a land shark guy. I was going to say land shark, and then I went Corona because I thought you'd give me shit for it. No, Yoda might be like a sneaky Davy Buffett. definitely land shark, man. Yeah. 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 Like there's a goofy hat coming out and like maybe like swim trunks is kind of how It's 530 somewhere for Yoda all the time. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Uh, Episode six, we're on to Return of the Jedi. Okay. So for me, this is a whimsical celebration of the force and the triumph of good. So what I want to drink here, I want to drink stuff that is just like all out great. This celebrates how fucking good beer could be while also being a little whimsical. So I'm thinking Flair by Prairie Artisan Ales. And the more I talk about it, I think I'm talking myself into this. Flair may be my go-to drinker for the rest of my life. I mean, it's close. I mean, but yeah, you were that way about uh, IPAs too. And then one day you were over them. 
Yeah, that's true. That's true. Like yeah, yeah. You're, you're like an early ten of, turn of the century, like woman's liberation story. Yeah. Like you're with a husband and everything's fine until one day you look in the mirror. And no, you can do no more, and you walk out. You're like you're like the story of an hour with like a beer. Like, yeah. like your husband died and you feel the liberation, right. and, and then it's you're just depressed to know that it still exists. It's, like it's not a slow lingering when, thing. When yeah, I'm when done, you're I'm done, done, it's instant and you're gone. Yeah. For a second, I thought you were just going to say you're like a turn of the century woman, and I was going to be like, okay. Well, let's no, explore Women's that. Liberation Story Street. Jeez. Right. Don't, I don't, well, that now Ross fine. is going to do some editing and that cut been me fine. to sound awful, but right. don't do that. Okay, so, Flair, I also... Don't worry, Caleb. My laziness will save you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Two sides of that coin. Uh, I also think that Return of the Jedi is a time to celebrate. So, buy some beers that are big, high ABV, you spend some money on so them. Wait, what do the Ewoks drink? Yeah. What do the Ewoks drink? <laughs> I was I was like in the middle of like a cadence, like I was ready to list yeah, some beers, and you throw right me dead. this fucking boomerang. Him dead. What would an Ewok drink? Hmm. Do you think that Ewoks? So so my best guess is ooh, I know, I know. Fireball. No, I, I, I'm gonna go with blush. <laughs> really? It's like For light mother's? is sort of floral mother's and hibiscusy. Blush. Like it's a very woodsy film. Oh. On, on in oh, indoor. No, oh, yeah, no yeah. you're right. No no yeah. no. That shit is filmed like, in yeah, the tons of woods. The redwoods. Yeah. Uh, pine. I'm mm-hmm. thinking pine. I'm thinking IPAs. You're like you're overly, overly sappy. Um, kind of like the pine drops. Cascadia I think is what IPAs? it's called. Yeah, you, you want something floral, but like good because you don't want to drink a bad beer while watching. Hop uh, slam that, all that Ewok nonsense. Stormtrooper corpses. Yeah, yeah. You don't. You don't or want. To, you don't want a bad beer to join in with the Ewok nonsense going on in down. front of your eyes. Yeah. So uh, you want you want a floral beer that's going to be you know indoor like, but not you know distract it's it's gonna distract you from what terrible things are happening sure on the screen. sure i think that's good yeah uh, i'm gonna get back to the brilliance that i was halfway through and producer <laughs> ross ruined um buy something drink something that you can celebrate with i mean you know the rebels have just fucking won the death star is gone the empire has fallen um things i think you could drink here labrette de raspberry by crooked stave here's a sneaky deep pick that we've not been able to find in the last year the chocolate ale by boulevard brewing company mm. um hard to find mm. It's indulgent. It's delicious. You do it's Samuel over Smith organic. Yes, that's absolutely. To find. That chocolate. That's oh an easier my God. chocolate to find. It's yeah. pretty good. Um, something that uh, that fucking um, we just had the sour um, from uh, that Dylan brought down. Oh, New God. Avery. Avery. A- Avery has a sneaky good yeah, sour. Yeah, Avery, Avery has like a wood barrel series or something. The <clears throat> yeah, that would be good. Up. Yeah, it looks indoor Yeah, um, they also have that uh, that like nuttiest professor. Some of those like absurdly expensive $14, $16, 12 ounce bottles. Something that just is blowing the, the lid off this shit. You know what I mean? Hey, because we won. Hey, let me, let me stump you for a second. Uh-oh. Because I don't think he drinks beer at all. But if he had to, what's Lando drink? Miller High Life. <laughs> so Lando's got a Miller High Life at the cup holder of the Millennium Falco yeah, absolutely disease. champagne of beers that is definitely Lando Calrissian Fair actually enough. of everything I've said in the last 10 minutes that's the one I'm most certain of that Lando- I know I've known a lot of guys who drink Miller High Life none of them wore a cape all right. No, but all of them well, look they like... they don't have cloud cities. More right. of the pity. If you own a cloud city, <laughs> you wear a cape. You can't tell me you don't look at Billy D. Williams in that movie and go, that dude hangs out in a bowling alley in 1982. 
Also a cape. And that, for me, that's what Miller High Life is. Fair enough. That's what you do while right, you're I like stand corrected. scratching he's, he's off the frame. Around. I don't know what the fish dude's drinking. Right. That he's fine with. Yeah, but. we don't need to worry about that. Yeah. Um, so anyway, thanks for the question, James. This was a lot of fun for us. Uh, we're going to grab another beer. We're going to grab another topic, and we'll be right back. Caleb, what are you drinking? I'm gonna stick on the Dora Dam train because mm-hmm. they did me right by that You're on the solid train. two mm-hmm. uh, with a Shandy Dora Dam longer. That uh, sounds like a character from an Archie comic. <laughs> Shandy Dora Dam? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's Shandy Dora Dam. <laughs> Heir to the Dora Dam fortune. Uh, it's a lager beer and lemonade. It's not with lemonade. It's just lag- <laughs> and lemonade. <laughs> lager beer and lemonade. <laughs> as if the, there's an ampersand there. As if they are separate and served in. Two glasses. So I'm going to give it a shot. Still water roll. All right. He's taking a sip. There it goes. Got a kind of a plain yellow label. I kind of like the label. I was just thinking about it. I mean, it. They're, it's It's, it's utilitarian. It's very utilitarian. Yeah. That's a... That's a, that's a three, isn't it? That's a, yeah. That's, that's a, a PlayStation. PlayStation DualShock. All right. So here's the thing. <laughs> it tastes like lemonade. It has nothing to do with beer. That's not bad. It's a far away from beer. And it tastes like lemonade that's like pretty weak. I'm going to try it. They put too much water in it. Like... Can you even taste the alcohol? <laughs> There's alcohol in it. Like, is there? I, <laughs> what's the what's the oh, percentage yeah. on that? It just tastes like some some weak ass lemonade. Right. Yeah, that is actually. I would drink that. Yeah, um, but it's yeah yeah. It tastes a little bit like lemonade and like old Sprite. Like you took Sprite that's been in a two liter <laughs> oh. open for too long. Yeah, and then you were like, oh, yeah. Sprite and a really a really old Sprite or and like lemonade. a really flat. Line and Lugal. Yes. Yeah, like a really flat really, summer shandy. Really flat summer shandy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's been sitting out for a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it got hot, and then it got like. Well, I mean, I like, I like me some summer shandy. You so. do. I'm into that. Weird. Yeah. You're wrong about stuff. <laughs> um, anyways, we're on to our third segment, and uh, we're into Ready Player Drunk. So, in the same way we haven't done Pro Drinker for a while, we have not talked about video games for a hot minute. Yeah. I don't know it's if a, we've. It's a deep cut episode. I don't know if we've talked about video games since Destiny 2. And what's even weirder is that you and I are like... Or play Destiny 2 since we talked about right, That's absolutely right. <laughs> We're like gaga over Breath of the Wild, but the video game segment we're going to do is not about that either. Yeah. Um, so this question comes to us from the one, the only, Jeb motherfucking Dale. Yeah, you. Flapjacks of War, one of the OG Mixed Six crew and Destiny crew. Mm-hmm. And Jeb asks, with games like Destiny 2 only in development for 16 months after the previous director left, and Hitman only a handful of levels with more being released once they were completed, and other games that seemingly get released unfinished with the purpose of giving some content immediately and then working to finish the full game later once they get more capital, is the trend of making a slap-together product and then using microtransactions to fund the rest of the game a portent, a portent of the downfall of good games. Damn, Jeb. I know. It's a lot in there. Digging in. Yeah. Um, I, so I am like maybe not, the, I, I, look, I chose this question. I get that. I, <laughs> I don't have the vitriol against microtransactions that I think the rest of the world does on this, uh, partially because I think that it's a choice. Um, and, it, and it comes down to that for me. I get the idea of like locking people out of content is frustrating, and especially in competitive games when microtransitions change the balance of the game, that's fucked up. But to the larger issue of do I think that's the way games are heading? Yeah, I think that's the way games are heading. And I don't think that that's the downfall of games, if I'm being totally honest. Yeah, I'm with it on that. Like, I want to go, it depends on the game. 
uh, which is not a healthy answer. But like, I look at it, and I, I want to be somewhat fair, and I don't think I'm akin to a video game designer. I'm certainly not pumping that kind of money out. But like, <clears throat> according to this definition being the downfall of good games, well, all RPGs and board games are bad now, because guess what? We're, <laughs> we're basically on the model where you go on Kickstarter yep. when it might be a half-formed idea, yep. and then you're you know, early accessing. It's the only way to fund it. It's the only way to roll the dice on funding it on that kind of stuff. Now, that said, Steam Early Access with some notable exceptions of like darkest dungeon and stuff like that is an atrocity of just failed nonsense (laughs) and asset flips and stuff that should have never seen the light of day and now certainly won't. So that it should, it was a half formed idea and should have said a no formed idea. Um, but then you're, you're mentioning games like hitman hitman. The new hitman is great. Like I've not played it. It is awesome. Like it, it's a sixty dollar game, or at least it was at the base until they kept adding stuff. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you do buy DLC with microtransactions, mm-hmm. but they're all additional story missions. And like the point of it is that they have these really enormous levels sure. with r- really various bases, this huge sandbox. And yeah, you're always killing people in the same six cities, which if you were an investigator. You know, might clue you in. You Interpol should probably get on that. Like, why do people keep dying in this quiet town in Sapienza? Uh, but um, that's the thing. Like, they change the story missions. They change the dynamics. There are some like skins and stuff in there. Uh, but you only unlock new stuff not by buying it, but by progressing and getting more points in the game. And um, yeah, I, I bought the original because I was really desperate for something to play, and it was just the one level. And yeah, that did piss me off. But then you know, I'd come home, and the second thing was installed, and it was better than the last one. And the third one was, and like Telltale games operate off this, and yeah. I fucking love Walking Some of Dead. Those have been phenomenal. And uh, oh, the man. Batman games. Uh, the Batman games. Uh, Wolf Wolf Among Us is fucking fantastic. I, the, might be my favorite fable storyline uh done in the telltale game rather than the comic book um but yeah there's some really great ones now is it used and abused all the time sure certainly like battlefront one for star wars came out and then never was finished because they rushed it out the door in the hopes of finishing it later because they were trying to capitalize on force awakens and then to follow that up they did battlefront two which was so exploitative, it got banned in multiple countries and states. So, like, yeah, it is a it is an exploitative business practice when operated by certain people, um, and it is a thing that should have been a gatekeeper that keeps people right. that shouldn't be running games out. However, like as a gate, it, it does allow people that are really talented that don't work for fucking EA, which right. never needed micro or. or or Bungie, which doesn't need microtransaction money. Anyways, right. Anyways, uh, but it allows them to make a game. So, I mean, you get stuff like Player Unknown Battlegrounds. Like, that came out piecemeal, and it's like the biggest gaming sensation in the world mm-hmm, right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's being. And then the thing, like, I don't begrudge those guys any money because now all of their shit's being stolen constantly. Like, Fortnite is just like, oh, we're going to. Copy your entire game mode entirely. Yeah. Well, it's on the console now. Like, because they didn't, they didn't, you know, patent it or anything like that. And it's right. not, it's an asset flip system. So, sure. Yeah, I, I don't know. It, I think it really depends. As the Marxist, it pains me to say that the means of production doesn't have to inform the quality no. of the game. Yeah. But in this specific instance, I don't, I don't think it does. And I think that, uh, you know, not to, not to poke the, the Marxist spirit too much, I think that this is an instance where the market is kind of self-correcting. Yeah. Um, if you know that Destiny 2 is coming out, uncom- you know, unfinished, 
uh, incomplete, uh, yeah, don't fucking pay for it. Uh, oh, you know, wait two years when it's $30 or it's one of those. Oh, like, it won't PlayStation be $30 break. in well, two years. But like Destiny, Des- right? You can buy Destiny out as the greatest hits, right? Yeah. And it's that reduced cost. And then you can go buy all the DLC stuff also. Yeah, or you yeah. can buy the DLC pack kind of at, at, at a lower rate. Yeah, it's a full game now. Right. So what I'm saying is like... <laughs> Uh, Four expansions. <laughs> do I think it's the downfall of the gaming industry? No, because I think that people either continue to buy that shit anyways because they want to play the games, or they won't, and I think that game companies will self-correct. And if they don't, then yeah, but I mean, that's just not the way that industry works. Just so throw your console and gaming PC in the river right? and buy Heaven on Games products and you know have real interaction. Or foul mouth games. Foul mouth Party games, foul. also true. Party foul. Coming you know, soon to a Kickstarter you know, you. You need to get close to the earth Slam with your design. tabletop rating. And if, yeah, and if you have the money to buy raw water, you need to buy that too and drink your yes, minerals and right. stop the fluoride mind control. If, yeah, that's right. You. If you've got money for raw water, buy, buy a video game console just so you can enjoy your last couple of days. Yeah, if you're shitting yourself to death, that is just the toxins leaving your body. Right. Just keep going. <laughs> buy a Switch so keep you can going. play it on the toilet. <laughs> yeah. That's the important thing for you to mm-hmm. do. Um, thanks for the question, Jeb. Uh, you're one of the good guys and one of the original guys. Thanks so much. Uh, we're going to grab more beer and on the other side, we've got a mock draft, folks. Yeah, you. Hey, Spence, what are you drinking? So this is one of the Omission brand gluten-free beers, and I'll have to say uh, that I have spent some time drinking a few of the Omissions. Uh, Omission, my, my mom's gluten-free, uh, and so I would occasionally try some of these when she was drinking them. I've had their pale ale and their lager. This is their IPA. I have not had it, um, but I have had uh, a- another gluten-free IPA at some point, I think, that I liked quite a bit, so I have high hopes for this is what I am saying. All right. He's, he's drinking it. Yep. It has a sort of like his face is pretty neutral right now. Leaf green label. Yeah, it's an interesting choice. That's a like that's a pretty good beer, guys. Like, yeah, let me give it a shot. That's um, that's a good IPA. Um, that's probably a four for me, and a four if you remember correctly is a yeah, Super Nintendo that, I controller. Mean, yeah, IPAs with their level of bitterness can hide the sort of lack of right gluten. Yeah, no, I enjoy that beer. Yeah. I got to be totally honest. Um, so, as promised, uh, only seconds ago before the music, we're into our mock draft. And for the mock draft Number this one week, pick. Number one pick. And it wasn't close. It was like mock draft in the field. Um, Thank you. Thank so, you so much. you know, that's cool. Um, Wayne Rossi suggested a mock draft topic that was just too good this week. So Have we heard from Wayne before? I don't think so. That might be a new name. Wayne, we're glad Thank to you. have you. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Welcome. Um, so, Wayne's question was, your top three philosophers for a reality show. Mm-hmm. So I've interpreted a bit to provide some more context so we can make good decisions, right. better decisions. Yeah. So who are the three philosophers you'd pick to be on Survivor? Yes. Is what, what we've gone with. Oh, here. yes. Okay. Uh, as you know, with a mock draft, we typically roll, and then we, we work in snake order. Um, Ross, do you have a, a die available to us? One of the... Uh, Your the, extremely heavy dice. You, you got some new dice? Uh, this is a dice uh, D10 uh, given to us by the... Synthesized role-playing game, uh, ah, yes. press review kit. Uh, it's a custom D10. Dear God. I think that's a seven, and also I think I broke the table. So, <laughs> ah, it's kind fine. of a double whammy there. Uh, and a two. All right, well, you go first. Or well, whatever you want, yeah. So, so here's the thing. Like, I think I've got like a great pick, but I'm worried that you might also have this pick. So I think I'm going to go first. Okay. My, my goal here 
was to leave this pick last and just end the segment on it. But I don't think I'll make it that far. Okay. All right. All right. So, so look. You're not sneaking a peek at my redacted. Phone, no, 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 right? no. I've not looked at your shit because that is a yeah, hard no, no, no. disqualification. I agree. That would be that would be garbage <clears throat> garbage play here. Um, no, for those of you, here's a peek behind the curtain. Caleb and I prepare a uh, shared Google Doc with all of our episode notes, but when we do mock drafts... We redact that shit. We redact it, and there's a, there's a gentleman's agreement that we will not unredact while preparing, so I have never seen st- like Caleb's stuff before yeah. he unveils it. So anyways, this is kind of like blowing the whole show here around this pick, but... I watch a lot of reality television. I think I've been very, very clear about this. You know, the premise of Survivor is that we're going to take 16 people and we're going to put them on an island and just mm-hmm. leave them there. And while we leave them there, we're also going to make them compete in ridiculous games for like a blanket yeah, or like a piece of cheese or a lighter or a piece of flint even. Uh, and people become emaciated. I've seen people pass out. I've seen people leave because of medical consequences. I've seen people lose their fucking minds because, you know, they're out on some desert island without friends and family and loved ones. I've seen people go crazy. In some ways, Survivor is a place where I'd be happy to see people that I don't like end up as long as they didn't win the million dollars. Fair enough. So my number one pick in this mock draft mm-hmm. is Slavo Zizak. <laughs> just... Like, just leave him on an island. Okay. <laughs> but he's not going to play the game. He's, eh. he's going to be trying to get both tribes to, like, revolt against Jeff Probst. I didn't think he, The I, tool of ideology. Look, not everybody wins Survivor. And the goal here is not necessarily for him to win. It's just Here's for him thing, to be Slavoy looks else. like he just came off the set of Survivor. That's true. With that same sweaty t-shirt. That's true. He wears in every single media appearance. So that my, has never been washed. My thinking here is just like, yeah, just get that guy away from people. It is perhaps the, the, the uh, which is to say, the rock, which uh, the the crab, which I will smash with the, in, in other words, the rock uh, goes on the crab's face and I eat the crab uh that is to say meat that's that's the best contribution you have ever had to this podcast like that was exceptional okay uh well it's it's not a good pick he's gonna violate the terms of the game also there has never been a stronger richard than slavoj zizak he's gonna be walking around there naked the entire season definitely and you're gonna have to watch it and america is never gonna forgive you for doing that to them we'd all do it uh so uh that there's that so i feel comfortable now i'm gonna save my Sneaky pick towards the end as I do this double pick here. So, uh, was he on your list at all? Uh, no, no. Damn it! I mean, I love Slo- I love my Slavoy. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Uh, he's my- Slavoy, my boy. But I thought not in sure. this situation. Son of a bitch! I'm gonna go with Thomas Hobbs. Ah, uh, yeah. Made my list, then I cut him. Oh, man, no, yeah. good. He knows the fucking score, all yeah. right? You want someone who's not there to make friends? It's fucking Thomas Hobbs, all right? <laughs> <laughs> Life is, uh, he's got the Leviathan going on. He, he, he knows that, you know, the, the Leviathan. He's here to make friends. Yeah, right the now. Leviathan is both the tribe and the audience. Yeah. Uh, his appearance on the show is going to be nasty, brutish, and short. Yeah. Uh, he, he's he's going to be betraying people. He is, 
He's the he's the mean girl. He's, I had he, you 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 love to hate him. I right? had Hobbs and Machiavelli in the same category <laughs> of like who would be the cutthroat asshole that I would be like that motherfucker. No, Hobbs is all about like man's nature, right. like the tr- nature of man as an animal. Like you got to get Hobbs in he, there. Yeah, like he, Machiavelli is going to be like, yes, yeah, so let's plot and scheme. Where's my wine? Wait, no wine, and like he can't handle that. Uh, like he he. Uh, but Hobbs Hobbs is going to be testing cutthroat out, is functionalism. Hobbs is going to be testing out his whole like hypothesis he's gonna be in it yeah like, no i agree all right same so, reason that you pick throw i get that yeah jump in there i didn't pick throw okay don't who'd you who'd you pick no, second then you, also do you have four picks i have an auto, i have a safety pick oh, okay in case okay. you start Good stealing idea. my shit yeah uh so so uh, are you saying you picked throw is that what i thought about it? I, I i had a cluster of people like who are rugged humans who i think would actually enjoy the act of putting their philosophy mm-hmm. To the test. Yeah. And Machiavelli, Hobbes, Thoreau, all kind of made the list. All right. So, other one, David Hume. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. So, uh, Hume, talking about the social contract. Well, first off, you can't talk about the social contract until you've read Hume. Uh, he, he, you know, he practically invents the term. Uh, he's going to understand that. Also, he's talking about uh, the passions, the importance of feeling over reason. What could better describe reality TV and what could better convince the American public than a man who admits that pathos is it? There is nothing else. It is pure emotion and feeling. And, like, who is going to – he's going to get everybody on his side for the tribal vote. David Hume knows where it's at. I think, like, I think there's a trick there. And and my next pick goes kind of, like, directly against this this premise that you've established here. Look, I've watched enough Survivor to know that when it comes down to the jury deliberations – that there's often a need for some rational argument in which you can identify ways in which you've played the game better oh, other than no, just, oh, no. woe is me. There is no stronger rebuke to the age of reason than the existence of the show Survivor in form and function. I think that, <laughs> I think that in David Hume, you've identified someone who's really good at getting second in Survivor. I think that there's always a person who makes the final, and they've kind of expanded the format so that three people often make the last tribal where you get to make an argument about why you should win. And there's always, like, one... One person in there who I didn't love really... how you've bought into the idea of Survivor as an actual contest yeah. that has actual stakes that are not decided by the people behind the camera. Well, yeah, I mean, because I find that deeply hilarious. I mean, I think that, I think that we have to, right, for the premise for the premise of the conversation. Because if not that, then Slavo Zizek is actually the best pick <laughs> because he wouldn't have bought into it in the first place. Oh no, no, no! You have to play the form of the show right. to win the sh- okay. show. Okay, so given that the form of the show, then. Um, Survivor is ostensibly about coalition building, about community building, uh, about some strategy and organization, and really effective communication. You have to make other people feel like you like them. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, the best way to do that is not to be some fucking sophist, right? Not just to say stuff to say stuff. Sophists are good at getting second on Survivor, but they're not good at winning Survivor. You need someone who can embody values, right? Who can show people that he really understands or she really understands their perspective. So in some ways, I thought about putting Isocrates here. Isocrates for you Bill and Ted fans. Um, (laughs) Because, you know, there's this whole premise on Isocrates that if you, you, you know, really espouse communicatively the values of of another community, then you start to embody those values as a way of making them more persuasive and coherent. But I thought, no, 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 there's something even more fundamental there, which is, you know, the understanding of how to organize, arrange, create structure, classification, develop strategy, and make persuasive, successful arguments. It's got to be Aristotle. (laughs) Aristotle might be the ultimate survivor player. It's possible that if you go back and read the rhetoric, 
all you were reading was like a handbook for winning Survivor. He didn't know. He, he, he died a little before Jeff Probst was born. He doesn't know. <laughs> just a bit. Just a bit. Missed him by a He's second. unfamiliar with the CBS broadcasting family of reality shows. But I think if he were to sit down today, if we were to Bill and Ted him through, through the universe in a telephone booth, he would sit down and he would watch those final jury ceremonies and he would be like, well, it's obviously pathos. Oh, well, it's absolutely ethos. Oh, God, no. Actually, what you should do here is make an argument by example. It's a weak argument form, but it's an effective argument in this I th- manner. I think you've confused his ability to dissect the arguments of other and put them into high hierarchical categories as an ability to make those same arguments. No, I have not. Aristotle, it would be boring as fuck the on man, TV. The man... He is not... He, Aristotle don't fuck. Like, you it'd, just, be, it'd be bad. You it'd just be told bad me TV. that David Hume would be good television. Okay? <laughs> so I don't want to hear an argument from you about who would be good in bad TV. He was a man of the people, man. He wrote accessible philosophical so tracts. you think that good TV is the standard by which we ought to evaluate this? Uh, okay. Is that I, what you're telling me? That's what I'm doing the last one. Okay, great. Because on my last pick in this snake quarter draft michelle foucault and fuck you all right so let me tell you some things about michelle foucault all right? okay he does fuck you want good tv right. i'll give you that one you want good tv so uh i was fortunate enough to work with don parson at the university of kansas for a while and one of parson's colleagues was lecturing in california while foucault was working at berkeley i think um lecturing at berkeley and so parson's colleague the late 60s early 70s i'm not sure um goes to one of foucault's like big public lectures and there are tons of people there lined to get in the door and Foucault is nowhere to be found so after like a half an hour some people from the college go looking for him and they find him at a skin bar like down in the district they bring him back to Berkeley to lecture and he lectures Foucault's about to gone rogue yeah in French while wearing chaps like you want good television? <laughs> Michel Foucault. Not to mention, like, there's always that one guy on Survivor that everybody else on Survivor fucking hates. Like, can you imagine Michel Foucault trying to talk to people about why they feel the way they feel about certain people and things the whole time? <laughs> They're doing anything on that show. I mean, interrupting Jeff Probst to explain to him why he's saying what he's saying and, you know, like what historical antecedent has led us to this point that makes Jeff Probst feel like he has power over anyone in that setting. how that power is an illusion. Right. How the nature of a tribe in and of itself is, you know, a power of discourse of power uh, and it organizes in unfair ways. He would be the most annoying, most entertaining player in the history of Survivor. And honestly, I think he'd be really good at getting second in the game. He'd He'd be the Russell Hanks. Is that the guy who like everyone fucking hates and who's won who's who's gotten second on Survivor or been on Survivor a number of times? He'd be that guy, except intellectually stimulating, brilliant, and even more interesting. Okay, all right. I mean, it's certainly better picking your last one. Aristotle doesn't work. I disagree. And you know who else disagrees? Aristotle. And he would out argue uh, you about that. Okay. Uh, so he, I I don't doubt he would out argue me. I think he would fail to argue with the uh, strange. Unpredictable tastes of the American watching public. So this is your last pick. Here's the thing. Uh, Survivor's been on for a billion seasons now. Mm-hmm. You need someone to change the dynamic if it's going to be seen in its sea of imitators. No. Okay. And this is ultimately a TV show. All right? So you've got to find a way to go viral. You've got to find a way to connect to the youth. You've got to find a way to make it a new show that has a show within a show, a game that we are watching within the game that is bringing people back to it. And so I think in order to do that, you need Thomas Ligotti. <laughs> Thomas Legatti, the author of The Conspiracy Against the Human Race, is the man who was primarily stolen from to write all of 
Russ Cole's dialogue. <laughs> so Thomas Ligotti is a ahedonic, meaning physical incapable of feeling joy, nihilistic fatalist who believes that consciousness as well as humanity has been a mistake and that we should, on moral grounds, all hold hands and kill ourselves. And he would be fucking fantastic television if you're watching him on Survivor. Imagine this. Let me set a scene. Jeff Probst on the beach. He's got Foucault shorts. there. He's got Aristotle in his toga. They're, he's got Hume and Hobbes plotting. Everyone's planning to grab the idol for the immunity channel. And then they see Tom, what are you doing? And Tom is trying to walk into the sea just to end it all. <laughs> that would be an ineffective survivor play. It would, but you would watch it and it would be high farce. It would be fucking hilarious. Slavoy would love it. Switch teams to be with Thomas. To be clear. That's not a team. <clears throat> yes, it doesn't need to be a team because it's a television show uh, and you want to see okay well they're going to have to break the fourth wall as the grips run away from the boom mics to keep Thomas from jumping off that cliff just to end it all his his every speech about the tribal council is not caring about being voted off because we should all be voted off because this is a cruel farce you're a puppy that you're a puppet that's imagined itself a master just end it and have some dignity like it would be I mean, the kids would love it. You want to talk about some justice for Pam? The kids would stuff? not love it. They would. Rick and Morty's the most popular show on Earth. You need an ahedonic, fatalist, nihilist on Survivor. There would be some. There'd be memes everywhere. If you voted uh, Thomas Ligotti off that island, there would be riots akin to killing Daryl off Walking Dead. He would have a cult fan base. The 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 reviews the the uh, ratings the, the ratings the whatever the score is I was trying to remember the box oh yeah 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 uh, Nielsen rating the Nielsen goes off the charts for the first time in seasons because this thing's been on interminably forever and it's all because Thomas brought it back by trying to slit his own wrists with a piece of coconut while everyone else <laughs> is talking about uh, you know how to play ring toss to achieve their how to play survivor immunity and survivor yes. not not with your enthusiasm notwithstanding <laughs> like clockwork i was just waiting for you to make a pick in a mock draft that was extra topical and violated the premise of the mock draft oh my god so i didn't see thomas Ligotti coming as that pick i've got to be honest i thought maybe you'd pick somebody like camus who would just embrace the existentialism of the whole bit and go i don't know maybe i'll die um <laughs> no camus could make a new meaning and his new meaning could be let's win survivor Legati, nay, nay. I, 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 I was with you on Hobbs. I was like, eh, on Hume. This Legati bit, though, feels like, yeah, but it's not actually about Survivor. It's about saying fuck it to everything. No, it's about Survivor, Survivor being a TV show that needs to stay which, on the air. Yeah, All right. Yeah. Well, I or clearly it, won. Or is it about a, a depressed person with hypergraphia? Like... <laughs> Like, yeah. it sounds, okay, or he that, doesn't yeah. sound so much as <laughs> right. a philosopher yeah. as yeah. a person who needs therapy. Have you read Conspiracy Against the Human Rights? It is fiction. an intense academic argument right. for murdering. Let's, so. let's for a moment assume, <laughs> assume any, any, any inkling of how all of this actually happens. I'm not sure that that kind of man makes it through the screening process with producers to get on a television okay, show. Okay, that wasn't in the that wasn't in the mock draft. Well, I mean, that wasn't who gets picked for Survivor and Philosopher for Survivor. We've already done that, and I picked Thomas Ligotti, and I'm not sad about it. All right, it's well, like it's like the the remember the moody emo art kid that was the friend in Parks and Rec, and he would just randomly show up and have uh, no lines. Owen, yeah, yeah. yeah oh, it would be him in every scene. Yeah. It'd be great. 
All right. Well, I look forward to your your praise, your accolades, your congratulatory remarks in the comments. This has been a lot of fun. While I think Caleb probably handily beat me upon reflection in not this but the last mock draft, I I would have to suggest that Foucault, Zizek, and Aristotle is a wildly better solution to this problem statement. I think Foucault and Zizek would just fight. Maybe, and, and that would be, be great television. And they'd be both too intimidated to talk to Aristotle. It would so go, there's no grand coalition. There. It would go viral, and the ratings would go up, and the Nielsen would love it. Whereas Hobbs just, and Hume have to be like, we got to stick together, because this fucking Ligotti guy is insane. He's not going to help us out. Everything that you just said applied to Foucault. Honestly, we'd all pay money to watch Foucault and Zizek fight. Okay? <laughs> uh, and with that, we're going to grab more beer. we got a couple more things left. We'll see you in just a second. Caleb, what's that beer? I'm going to drink from Omission Brewing Company. Hey, Getting yo. in on the gluten-free space. Yeah. Moving in hard. Uh, it's their lager. And it is bright and crisp, according yeah. to the label. All of these have been pretty utilitarian labels, I've noticed. Like, no, no, no real fancy designs, no mascots or anything like that. We do see the gluttony from New Belgium. It's kind of like the Aldi's of uh, beer labels. I mean, it's very... I like that. Yeah, it's not a bad. The omission beers are good. That's a Super Nintendo. Yeah, I agree. It's pretty solid. Yeah, yeah. I drink that on a hot day. Those are uh, the omission beers, and the pale ale is the same way. It tastes like a good pale ale. Uh, And actually, it's probably a little bit less sappy than some of the pale ales I've had, and I kind of like that about it. So so good on them. Um, uh, Anyways, we're into Ask Mixed 6. Uh, and this week, another favorite of the podcast, uh, Noah Carden, a.k.a. Broa. Uh, host of the Maple Syrup Blood Money podcast, along with Kyle Cardi, mm-hmm. uh, which is the best Riverdale podcast going. Don't at me, everybody else doing Riverdale podcasts. Um, has written in and asked, is there one subculture, nerdy or not, that you wish you could be more into, or at least more knowledgeable of? And what is it? And I'm going to let you start. Uh, okay. Uh, I'm going to go with one I used to be kind of into, but I think it got drowned are like consumed uh, while I was absent. Um, so I used to be really into judo, and, and uh, the martial arts subculture is weird. Like people that are really into martial arts, if you're yep. up into like brown and black belts, you're you're a weird fella. Yeah, but it's like exercise. It's fun. It does increase some confidence. Totally agree. Um, and there is like all sorts of interesting lore and yeah. history to it that you can study, especially if you study other stuff. So I'm sad I don't participate in martial arts anymore. At the same time, I will never go back and right. try to participate in martial arts anymore because the martial arts of my youth, when like I could go to jiu-jitsu class and I could go to judo class and the, I could see what the taekwondo kids were doing and that kind of stuff. And I could sort of adjudicate for myself. Like, what was, you know, Eastern philosophy bullshit and yeah. what was actually effective and, you know, all that kind of stuff. That is gone and it's been replaced by MMA bros yeah. everywhere with no discipline, no culture, anything like that. So, like, at times when I thought, like, learning all the Japanese names and the forms right. of different things and all of the, you know... There was an educational bit, Yeah, too. all the educational bit of it was, yeah. like, getting in the way of the cool, fun fighting part. Yeah. I now deeply regret every time I thought that, because now all of that is gone. Right. And what has been replaced with who took more roids... Right. That and whose balls have shrunk small enough that when it comes to our you know forty minutes of sweaty dick punching and right. and CrossFit, 
who will like Did cave in name. first. Yeah. Um, and that and like let's all wear Ed Hardy t-shirts uh, during those thirty seconds in which we have to wear a shirt while we're in the gym. Let's scream a whole lot. Let's listen to I don't know Nickelback. Probably. I'm trying to think of anything. Creed. Yeah, anything basic enough. Right. Uh, and Hoobastank. Let's all like take our issues with our fathers out on each other's faces. Yeah, and there is nothing that sounds Worse. less appealing yeah. to me uh, than like the days of like being in high school, being like mid-level judo kid teaching little judo kids how to do stuff learning stuff from sensei like that sort of like sense of family and camaraderie and like and gender parity and like uh history and like reading books about it that is all gone and it has been replaced with lots of you know rolling around with big sweaty assholes and let me say so i i'm not i don't it's as if all the people i took martial arts to defend myself from are now taking martial arts. like joined a league of evil and and like in unison rushed the building and took it over every everything now is the bad dojo from the karate kid Uh, yes and cobra kai has won yeah uh we we live in the world of cobra Kai. let me say this like uh so i was a i did taekwondo for like two and a half three years when i was growing up and i really loved it and i don't know I think what you're describing is true culturally in a lot of ways. I don't want to paint with too broad a brush and say, yeah, that's absolutely true culturally in all instances. But I do know this. It's very different when you're 12 years old and kind of the wonder of exploring a new culture and seeing how, you know, a martial art explores that culture and accentuates that culture and how the culture and the martial arts speak to one another. That stuff and, was and stuff about your own body. Like, right. I can fall down and not shatter. That's right. Or yeah. I, I can accept some pain. That's or, right. Hey, my arm doesn't bend that way. Oh, like, yeah. yeah. You know, there's... Sometimes yeah. I don't hate sweating. You yeah, know, those exactly. kinds of things. Yeah. At 31, I could not reap that same experience if I walked into any studio for any martial arts purpose. <laughs> yeah. I know that. And so <laughs> that's why I stay away. From yeah. Like when he says this question, I mean, like subculture, you wish you were at least more knowledgeable of it too. Like, right. and I do, because, but I will never right. get there. It, no, is, like, it is a distant country. Right. It is gone from me. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I'm not going to walk in. I would in, break everything. I'm not going to walk into a Taekwondo studio, Taekwondo studio at 31 and be like, I just... I want to figure out if I can get my leg above my head again. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I'm not doing that. Help anymore. me learn that about myself. Right. Yeah, right. I forgot all the Korean words, but can I do the splits again? So my answer to this question, and I want to put as many caveats as I can on this, because I know what's going to happen. I see this in your show notes, and we had a lengthy discussion where I begged you not to do this. Look, I feel how I feel, <laughs> and it would, not be, it would not be authentic of me to lie about this, because I have genuine interest in it so oh, but let me say a couple God, things here. it's over it's one over i have tried to go down this path a few times and nothing has worked but the fact that i have gone back to this path suggests that i would like to figure these things out however i don't have time to get as into this as i think it takes to get into this i'm not gonna make time to get as into this as i think one needs to make to get into something like this and this is explicitly not me asking for people. Just as an Entry offset, points. you remember uh, Fellowship of the Ring, where like they drop the bucket down the well, and then you hear the footfalls of 10,000 goblins rushing towards us? That is what's going to happen in the comment section right now. And your Twitter mentions, and the rest of your life. I just like, drums in the deep. Yeah. You can yeah. hear them. They're, they're coming for There's you. Fire on the hill. And this yeah. is the last... The last chance you have to get out. I know. And I cannot, as your friend, I know. urge you enough I to know. stop this. All right? I, 
I have been given so many points of entry from so many wonderful people who have told me so many places to get on board with this, and I still haven't done it. But that doesn't mean that at some deep ideological, personal level, I'm not interested in doing it. Having said that, I am interested in knowing more about anime. And there it is. All right. Well, shut the podcast down. It is over. What? What? No, he, he wants to join the Weeaboos. No, yeah. no, no, that's I don't. Exactly. You're, you see your commuter smoking yeah, yeah. as they light oh, up. Oh, is that someone knocking on the door? Let me have no. some intro they, uh, suggestions for you. Oh, my no, God. I, it's the, over. The yeah. podcast is done. Holy cooly. Yeah. Uh, Cowboy Bebop. Yeah, there it is. Uh, yeah, there yeah. it is. One yeah. night, a couple well, of weeks here ago, we go. I was drunk, and we all went to a, a local watering hole, and we were having dinner, and Ross was telling us about an anime that he'd gotten into. And I was genuinely interested, and so I continued to ask questions about it. And as I sobered up later, I was like, my God, there's a lot of depth there. I will never be into something like that. But honestly, I've tried a million different ways. Samurai Shampoo. Oh, my God. (laughs) And I just... And so I think that this is one of those, like... Um, there's that. There's it, that. Li- it literally would have been better if you said Doctor Who, like, One Punch Man. Uh, oh no, I think God. I think that. Well, I'm kind of, but I'm kind of into Doctor Who, right? Like I've done that bit, and yeah, so, yeah. Um, so I think that I, this is one of those instances where, um, in like you remember the the critically acclaimed wonderful film The Breakup, starring Vince Vaughn and Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> oh yes, my favorite Oscar winner. Yeah. Um, like you know that movie is literally about a breakup. Like at the end of the film, they don't get they aren't together, right? Spoiler alert! If you haven't watched The Breakup, it's called The Breakup. Up. fuck you that's the spoiler <laughs> like and i remember leaving that film and i was like what the hell man like that's not how this shit works but you know what the the honest reality of that movie is like sometimes things don't work out um the fucking movie god someone's gonna have to google this um and it's got awesome woman and great leading actor guy and motherfucker, i don't remember anything about it she plays tennis and they don't end up together topher grace um, oh and, god another painfully average film which I watched at your apartment yes but you know what I'm talking about yeah Dennis Quaid's yes in it. Dennis Quaid is in it <clears throat> yeah and they don't end up together yeah and it's like motherfucker like right people they like each other just wrong time mm-hmm. I that's where I've landed on anime like I think I would really like anime I don't know why you're still talking because your <laughs> life is over <laughs> I, th- I think that anime would be a lot of fun <laughs> can I should I make some more suggestions fuck no 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 <laughs> no I, I, did you hear my caveat gonna, here's what's gonna happen in the comments right after this is <laughs> Post. People are going to make good, good-hearted comments like you know Samurai Champloo or yeah. like Cowboy Bebop or fucking One Punch Man or anything mm. like that. And then people are going to troll those people and mention like really weird shit like tit magic schoolgirl fish or whatever weird ass shit yeah, they're watching. Stalking, yeah. yeah, and then they're going to do that as trolls. But then there's going to other people who don't understand irony or facial expressions or anything else. They're going to be like. Tit magic uh, bullet fish is the fa- my favorite anime ever, and that's definitely where you should start. And there's going to be no irony there, and they think that's definitely where you should start. And you're going to have no way to navigate this endless sea of angry. Th- and then someone's going to mention dubs, and then the subs are going to show up, and then you're going to have a gang war in your comments, and you've just You've just dived headfirst into a writhing yeah, as a Thothian sea of fandom chaos. I gave from a which bunch of caveats. You'll never extricate yourself. I want to say two things. One, I gave as many as many uh, caveats as I could about this. Two, 
if there was a book or a line of comics or a show called Tit Magic Bulletfish, <laughs> that's where I would start. Maybe, so, if I'm being honest, that sounds awesome. You've just made it worse. I don't know. Let me let me explain JoJo's Bizarre. <laughs> no, I have to go. We're not doing drunk enough now. Well, I'm sorry. Burn it down. Burn your computer. Throw this away. Uh, sound effect, sound effect. Uh, dance off. Uh, grab my neck by a cane, and we're gone. <laughs> All right, Spencer, as a sign-off, now that you've ruined our podcast, right. what are you drinking? Thanks thanks for pulling me back to the table, guys. Um, <laughs> so, full disclosure, I have had this beer before. In fact, I just tried it um, last weekend, or whenever we played Time Stories, I think Sarah was drinking one of these. It's a New Belgium Gluttony, um, which someone at a beer store one time told me was Gluttony, but I don't think that's true, because it has an umlaut, uh, mm-hmm. and so I'm just hoping I'm right here. Anyways... This is a good beer, and it tastes like an IPA. Uh, I'm going to retaste it just to make sure that things haven't changed for me in the last seven to ten days. Mm-hmm. I don't think that they have, but give me a moment. All right, you know, taking again. It's a little fancier label than the others we've seen so far, but yes, uh, by far winning the label game of yeah, gluten yeah. beers, which are perfunctory. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> very utilitarian. That's the perfect adjective. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, we need a label. All right, this will do. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's good. Um, I don't like it as much as that Omission IPA, probably, in terms of mm. tasting like a good beer. So this is a three for me, probably, which is PlayStation a PlayStation Control, DualShock. DualShock. Yeah. I mean, look, this is a perfectly drinkable beer. And if I if I were gluten-free or gluten intolerant, this is I'd be happy to drink this. Not as much as that Omission beer, but it's pretty good. Um, and while I consume this, Producer Ross, would you like to try the gluteny from New Belgium? We're into drunk enough? Yes. Caleb, kick us off. So I propose this topic... Uh, as a result of my job, but I know that you have had that job as well. Have. And um, I find myself in this uh, precarious position. So here's how I framed it in the notes. Um, so for our drunk enough topic, is there any value in teaching philosophy to younger generations? So is the necessity of dumbing down the concepts unacceptable? Or is the obtuse nature of the writing the main reason we lack it in our lives and we can dumb it down to make it better? Um, is it the ultimate bloated, useless academic subject in need of excising, like Latin? Or is it the primary thing lacking from modern society? And I find myself in a weird position because I often look at my, uh, especially my younger students, and their lack of insight into their own lives. And I understand what that is what to be a teen. Yeah. But I also don't see them in any way doing anything I did as a teen in which sort of investigating that lack of insight right. and trying to wrestle with it. Yeah. And I'm like, man, that would be really useful. But then I think about, like, maybe I should propose a philosophy elective in a modern rural high school. And then I'm like, well, did I just, like, shake my cane (laughs) and argue? It's like, the thing that's wrong with kids these days is they don't use abacuses anymore. Like, am I, like, absurd? It's like, if they knew Latin verbs, they'd truly understand themselves. I feel like I'm advocating for, like, the most useless non-American education thing possible uh, as a way to fix it. But at the same time, I feel like I have this sensation that, like, man, that's what we need, but it's just because I'm an uber nerd about that shit, so maybe it's just I'm going back to my comfort zone in a world where nothing else I'm doing is working. So, yeah, I'm very interested in this question. When you proposed it, I kind of immediately started thinking about things, because while... uh, Because you've had this sensation, right, where you're trying to teach, like, the grand ideas of the world... 
and it clicks and it's like the best feeling in the world. But I've also. Or you're trying to piece again ideas in the world and it doesn't click right. and you, you know, feel like Thomas Ligotti walking Blank in the sea. stairs. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and I've both, I've both had this at the high school and the college level, having taught both. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can say that I've had a number of experiences that resonate with what you're saying, even at the collegiate level. I mean, in, oh, exp- I have a more at the collegiate right. level than the high school level. I, I have, you know, I taught, I taught some graduate courses that I felt like, guys. <laughs> Come on. Uh, if you're not willing to put in the time, effort, energy to develop a critical vocabulary for something, yeah. you know? So, uh, you know, let me kind of like dive in head first here and see what happens. So I, I think that um, I'm, I'm going to say a thing and then I'm going to parse the thing heavily, as I just tried to do with this anime bit. So I expect and no success. Yeah. Deadly. The thing that I want to say. failed. The thing that I want to say is that um, the there are a number of reasons to teach philosophy for me. At the core, though is uh, to develop a critical language or to develop the practice of introspection. I think it's good sometimes to ask questions for questions' sake. And I think that more than the answer to those questions, the practice of learning how to see a thing from multiple, abstract, less-than-concrete interrogatory angles is a very valuable practice. And I do think it's something that many people, not all, can benefit from. Mm-hmm. I think that typically where we go wrong, and something which was difficult for me, uh, certainly as a high school student and even as a college student trying to get involved in philosophy, and in theory, I even liked the idea of philosophy, but I hated the practice of learning philosophy as a high school student and even as a college student in some ways. Because it's taught wrong. It's taught wrong. And, and, and at the you core— can't, You cannot go to the primary text. There you go. At the core of why it's taught wrong is we rely heavily on teaching a student that to learn philosophy is to read the entirety of a primary text rather than to get a secondary source or even a good explanation of a singular concept and then branch out from there. Which is insane yeah. because no other subject works that way. That's absolutely right. Like, I do not teach math by making, like, throwing Bertrand Russell at somebody right. and, like, read Principia Mathematica. Right, right. You'll learn why one plus one equals two. Right. It's we're, the proof. We're, like, we're okay reading Shakespeare, Romeo and Juliet and not the entire body of work, but, but there's something about philosophy— History. Right, like it's, you're not learning ancient Greek anymore. There's like, something about philosophy in the secondary and the higher education levels. We are, um, as a as a culture, we do a bad job of separating idea from entire source text, and yes. and the reality is. The bulk of that shit is mind-numbing and irrelevant. I mean, I'm not trying to wipe away all of the greatest philosophical texts, but as someone who's read a lot of philosophy, fuck, in doing research for our mock draft about what philosophers to put on Survivor, I was revisiting some philosophy over the last two days. The the bulk of what you uh, Kenneth Burke, for example, who I have talked about, I mean, at ad nauseum on this podcast. I mean, my my favorite, you know, Kenneth Burke, Kurt Vonnegut. That's it. Shut it down. Don't need to read anything else the rest of my life. The bulk of some of those texts from Kenneth Burke are unrelated to anything I will ever give a shit about. Yeah, no, I mean, one of my favorites is Frederick Jameson, right. a man who, by the time I reach a third down the page, I want to strangle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, with his endless subordinated clauses, I want to form them into a garret right. and, and wrap them around his neck. Right. Like, but it's not just that the writing is bad, it's that... Many of the concepts, and even more importantly, not just the concepts, but the references are lost. Oh, a Zizak book is that, just like, I, yo, dog, I heard you like footnotes, right. so I put footnotes inside your footnotes yeah. inside of your footnotes. Counterstatement, which is this, like, you know, Burke's first major book, uh, kind of like about, you know, art and how it toes the line between, like, Marxism and, and all this stuff. Counterstatement's great. Um, 
I've not read any Thomas Mann. I've not read any Andre Gide. And the first two or three chapters are almost exclusively about Thomas Mann and Andre Gide. I don't know what the fuck he's talking about in there. So here I am just like wading through in graduate courses, trying to find nuggets of things that I can extrapolate outside of these references, right? So here I am, you know, thinking about a high school student um, who are, you know, who's probably being introduced to these really foundational concepts, like, for example, to pull Thomas Hobbes back into the conversation or David Hume, the social contract. Mm -hmm. And... What, what we do, and at least for me, this typically happens not in philosophy courses, but rather in extracurricular activities like debate um, or in logic classes. We tend to give people the whole thing and then say, yeah, go learn about the social contract. The, the amount of shit that one has to wade through to get to the nugget of the idea or the nugget of the ideas God. around the social contract is mind-numbing. No, I mean, it's, it's obstructive is yeah, what it's it is. radical. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And so, yes, I think that it is great to engage in the practice of asking deep, difficult, abstract questions and to learn how to meander in those waters. I do not think it is valuable to say, here's the body of work from insert philosopher. Go learn. I mean, I just think... Yeah, I mean, and like, I, I do stuff in high school and like, I cover feminism and it's like I rolled a fucking grenade into the room. Right. Like, and it's not like we go back and read the feminist mystique in 1960s, which, while is it is a famous historic work is entirely irrelevant with mm-hmm. modern feminism. Like, they've moved beyond it. There's other issues at this point. Right. And at that point, the struggle's not won, but the war's in a different place now. Yeah, that's right. And, like, but if they were covering that in, like, a political ideology class or something, you still read, like, a fucking book from the 1960s. Right. And, like, you'd read it in its full text. Yeah. Like, we all know what it's like to make a jellied ham for your husband when he returns home from the ad office. Like, yeah, right. no, we don't We, we don't know that. We don't, haven't we, done we, that. We haven't done that. Right. Um, and, and, like, that's the thing. But you bring it on terms. You make it in modern examples. And as, as 2017 and 2018 will probably keep teaching us uh, – if you want to teach the principles of feminism, you need only open your eyes That's right. and walk around and right. start naming things. That's right. Yeah. Like, you do not need a treatise that is 500 right. pages long. Or, like, I cover existentialism, and there's silence, and part of it's because the kids had no fucking idea what I was talking no about, frame no reference. matter how I dumbed it down. Right. And part of it's because I just blew up the worldview of a child. Yeah. And they just have no idea what just happened. And that's, like, important. Not that they ascribe to that. Not that they do it. But they have a name to refer to that. Like, I freaked out kids because I mentioned the Overton window the other day. And they had no fucking idea. They thought people just had political beliefs. Right. Yeah. And that, like, everything was their Overton window. Maybe Probably. I don't. I don't. They didn't know what one was. Right. So, but I, but I think that in in a realm of a bunch of squishiness, which is what philosophy is. I mean, I think that concrete examples. Like I, that I are, get why the language is that hard, and it's so referential. You yeah. need to read a shit ton to yeah. have the ability to do it. Right. And you're a word mathematician. Yeah. You're doing you know symbolic logic. Yeah. And certainly, if you want to go to grad school philosophy, you keep on writing the most obtuse nonsensical yeah. academia shit. Right. Mossable. By all means, that's what you need to do to your job. Nothing like that. But shouldn't we teach it younger? Because like that's what history yes. does and math does. And we still make those concepts accessible because we think they have value in the world. Whereas think, yep. modern American education, either in secondary, post-secondary, finds no value in critical lenses of any type. Right. You just thought that, like, well, women voted one day. Well, they voted one day. Well, and to be they, fair... They couldn't vote, and then they voted, and then that was feminism. To, like, to be and fair, that's where you learn, modern yeah. American education, too, I mean, I think lacks an, uh, a, an evaluation, a, a system of measurement, right? What, what gets measured improved. Uh, to be able to gauge one's understanding of philosophical concepts outside of, you know, 
name three people who wrote about the social contract. I mean, in some ways, it doesn't fit the test-taking mold that modern American education has developed. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, there's another piece But yet, there's this. still this focus on reading. That's which, right. Which, like, yeah. is in, having any sort of philosophical framework for reading makes everything super easier. Right. Um, and then uh, there's also writing, which, like, there's absolutely nothing I could teach you other... And, in fact, grammar would probably be less useful for your writing yeah. than having any kind of philosophical framework with which to organize it with. Yeah, I just think that... No, I'm with you on that, but all of those things... At least for me, and this is not this is not me apologizing or defending the system. This is me kind of like trying to explain why I think the system is better at accepting one than it is the other. Because a lot of those things, important and abstract as they may be, there's a much easier this equals that relationship, which in terms of test taking, which drives the bulk of our decision making in the modern American educational system, mm. is a much easier formula to make sense of in terms of how I divvy up money and how I how I identify the accreditation of your system. You know what I mean? And and the idea that we would teach students to move beyond this, this equals that, and instead start to ask questions around, well, yeah, but what about value systems? And what about the nature of equal signs in the first place, right? I mean, yeah, and, then you, and then you model. get into like the sort of like prescriptivist, you know, evangelical resistance, at least in secondary education. But what I found in, in teaching over the last few years is that like even that is waning. Even the evangelicals yes. are tired. Right. And so like you have these teens that go out with like no value system. Right. Like, and not like the right value system, like anything. Right. Like, I'm saying there should be a buffet. Yeah. You should, cons- like, read Augustine, read Thomas Aquinas, yeah. like, fucking read whatever you want, or, or, or don't read it. Watch YouTube videos summarizing it, but do something. Give them something yeah. in the toolbox. And, that, and that's what I don't, I just don't see. It, it, no, like, it's, there's none of it's it. nihilism without the word for nihilism. There, like, yeah, that's right. And I think, I think part of the reason there's none of it, and this is the other side of the coin for me. So, I, you know, the, the, the half that really makes me unhappy is this, we have this all or nothing approach to learning philosophy. And you're right, it's unlike a lot of other di- disciplines. Yeah. The other half of the coin there is that I think that a lot of the best people that I've met uh, who who would make sense in this type of system? Best people is not a good term. A lot of the people that I've met who would be um, effective in these settings, teaching philosophy, are also the people who are unwilling to engage in what they think of as dumbing it down. And in a lot of ways, I don't think is dumbing it down at all. I kind of like take umbrage with that phrase a little bit. Yeah, be- because I, philosophy, like any discourse for me. Um, if you're unfamiliar with it, it requires a, you know, for lack of a better term, a lubricant, some something to get in a little bit. And, and here's the thing. I, I didn't pick that right. haphazard. No, no, no. no. That, yeah, that is very much but, how it's treated. But but that's my thought, though. Because right. here's the thing. Here's why I pick it. Because I'm trying to, like, sort of correct myself. Because, yeah, I'm all into, like, philosophy nerd shit. Right. I'm not as into it as I could be if I got, like, a philosophy major. But, like, right. I, I definitely like talking about it and things like that. I don't consider it dumbing down. Like, I'm a professional educator. There's right. no such thing as dumbing it down most of the time. It's called scaffolding and being an actual teacher. Right. And not a prick obsessed with your own knowledge and, right. and no desire to give it to somebody else. Yeah. However, however, in this dumbing it down phrase, you do get high school Nietzscheans. Yes, absolutely you do. And that's, right. that's my terror. Like, right. I do not want to teach some kid to be into Nietzsche, meaning... A Nazi that's not read Nietzsche right. you and doesn't you want, understand the Overmensch right. or like any. You don't concept. want them going around talking about the death of God as, <laughs> as an anti-religion thing. You know, yeah, no, I totally like, get that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But but I think the trick there, right? And and I think that this is what what this comes down to. And really, what you're talking about is navigating like good teaching. Um, 
sometimes I think when we think about dumbing something down, we, we talk about reducing it in such a way that it loses all of its meaning or value. But for me, effective dumbing it down is providing a point of entry or an example or an analogy or an illustration, which makes me go, oh, okay, I understand that concept. Now, deductively, it didn't make sense to me. Inductively, it does make sense to me or vice versa. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So when I used to teach uh, in telekey, which like this is like this terribly important concept out of uh, you know, a number of great philosophers, certainly Aristotle, but Burke is very worried about the nature of telekey. Um, I would show these direct TV ads and we would talk through this concept of IntelliKey over and over again. And like for me, that never felt like dumbing it down. It felt like providing a point of entry. But I, get- I mean, it's the study of knowledge. It's the, the right. study of truth. Right. Like here's the thing. If you cannot pick examples of it out of the everyday fucking world, mm-hmm. everywhere you look, it's probably not a very good theory or critical right. lens in terms of use. Yeah. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. But like the idea of like, Teaching the concept of, like, I don't know, Marxism using Marx is a fucking absurd to me when you live in a world of, like, blue jeans and microtransactions and Logan whatever his fucking name is from YouTube. Logan Paul. Yeah, Yeah, who gives a shit? Uh, (laughs) Like, the fact that I live in a world of that and I can't use that as an example, we got to go back to his, like, fucking German manifesto. German which is the most accessible piece. Right. Like we got to go back to Das Kapital and read this fucking German French fusion nonsense that I'm like fucking sentence diagramming as I go through to get through it with my graduate degree in right. English. Like the fact that you want to throw that at a kid if you have to teach it at all. Yeah. That just seems so insane to I me. I agree. And I think that I think that the other mis- mistake that we well, mistake that we make so strong term. I think that the other problem that we run into is that especially at the secondary level more so than the higher education level, um we we tend to have a philosophy that if it doesn't apply to every student in the room, it's not a good thing to cover. That um, the the nature of some of these things, particularly in philosophy, but I don't know, maybe in all subjects, is yeah. And you know what? In a room of twenty five kids, like maybe five of them are going to want to go beyond the reading of the most accessible text, and sometimes that's okay. You know what I mean? Like, did the bulk of them get the idea? And then if there are more that want to extrapolate, then you know, be there to help them extrapolate. But there is no time for that in the secondary education model. Yeah, I mean, there just isn't. There's mm-hmm. no time. There's certainly no reward for it. I mean, None. it is all personal time spent outside of outside of the academic day mm-hmm. um and it's it doesn't show up on any fucking tests which get your district money and so we should teach it younger and, and yet i find way more success with it yeah in the secondary than i do in the post-secondary oh my god the post-secondary higher man i mean it is nothing is more fucking depressing than a group of like sophomores or juniors right encountering like a new world-shattering perspective altering idea that you can just try on right for a moment because that's all college is is trying on these hats yeah and seeing if they fit right and like enjoying the time in your little costume that they have that full freedom and intellectual yeah. free and then they just do not give a fuck or, like, or there or, is nothing more demoralizing as a teacher to like just the, the right. crickets right. when you do that and and you know we're, what i'm talking about earlier the value of doing it in the first place and developing a critical vocabulary getting used to the practice of asking tough questions yeah. about about abstract things you know this notion of hypothesis Hypothesis testing. Um, yeah, man, I have been in rooms with 21, 22-year-olds, you know, not 14, 15-year-olds, 22-year-olds, who the idea that if only for the thought experiment of trying a different worldview and, and engaging something that you're very familiar with from a different perspective – and not only getting crickets, but getting pushback from the idea that that, that that practice has any merit. 
I mean, that shit, like, you know, that that's defeating is yeah. what that is. That's, yeah. that's the stuff that makes you feel like, what the fuck am I doing? And, that, and that's my last, like, worry about it. Like, right. I, I, I know there's no incentive for it. I always knew that. Yeah. That didn't determine me because, you know, I have a philosophical system. So right. the fact that there's not an economic incentive doesn't determine the moral rights because, you know, I know what the word fucking ethics means, unlike 90% of people in the right. world. Um, uh, even though those ethics are debatable, yeah. there's that. Then there's the fact that, like, maybe I'm just into it and nobody else is and there's no use to it. Then there's the fact that, okay, uh, maybe there's use to it, but I am not capable of teaching it in such a way without the primary text that won't make these, like, abortive monstrosities of, you know, philosophies like everyone who says they've read Nietzsche. Yeah. Um, but then my last one is just, like, can I, as a person, withstand the uh, lack of interest. Right. It's brutal. Because, like, when they don't give a shit where the comma goes, or they're never going to fill out a resume and stuff right. like that, that's just stupid. Can write that stuff are, they, are they, you know, they maybe they're not going to go that way in their life or something yeah. like that. But when you genuinely don't care about ideas, oh, and not no. like just a specific idea, I mean any the, idea. The concept of ideas. There is nothing more existentially right. depressing yeah. to me because I've encountered someone that... If they have meaning in their life, they will never let me know. Yeah. And they will never understand mine. Right. And my meaning, which is to make those connections, will never be fulfilled. Dude. And it's just like crickets. It's brutal. God, I have, at KU and Missouri State, I have been in lecture hall. I mean, you know, 100 plus students in a lecture hall. And like, I'm not, I was not a bad teacher. You know what I mean? I'm Mm -hmm. not saying, I'm not saying that the problem here wasn't my teaching. But that the bulk of the people in that room, there, there were days where I came home and I felt like I did about as well as I could have done explaining, A, that concept, but B, and more importantly, the importance yeah. of, of talking about that concept yeah. and interrogating that concept. And to get 135 students just staring at you, you know what I mean? Or 10 students staring at you and 125 students looking at their phones, like... That is the shit that got me like, I'm done here. You know what I mean? Yeah, I got nothing. Yeah, and it's like, I get that shit in game design too. But with game design, you get to that level and then you like interrogate it and you make it better. And then it happens again. You interrogate it. You make it better. You iterate. And then eventually you get to a point where people are really liking it. But then you will hit a point where you do a play test where you've done it a billion times. A ton of people are liking it. Yeah. And then you get people that just do not give a fuck just don't and care. hate it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And at that point, you have you know our party foul moment we right. talked about it like yeah. you don't like it right and i don't want you to like right. it we're done because i just realized it's working precisely because you don't like it right exactly. but then at that point if that's your whole class yeah what are you gonna do what, what the fuck do you do from that's there right. like because like i'm not i'm i'm a like i'm just kind of repulsed by you at this point right. not to me like once i've acknowledged like i've done everything i can the only options are like well i mean it's impossible for me to get better at this <laughs> failure or oh I've done the best I possibly can, and it's impossible for you to understand it, no right. matter how well I do. And either way, it's just like yeah, flatline, bleak. Yeah, depressed. I'm not happy about either. Don't get me wrong; I've flubbed a number of these lectures, and and these aren't the majority of my interactions with this kind of stuff. No. I usually get some people that are pretty fired up by regardless of what idea I'm right. talking about. Yep. Like, yeah, I don't think the question here is did you or did you not do a great job of explaining it. Sometimes it's just 
some people are more attuned to the idea of interrogating ideas and some people aren't the 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 that though should not be a reason to discourage the attempt at least to teach the stuff at a younger age because i do think that the practice in and of itself is a valuable practice and i'm okay sounding like some fucking ivory tower asshole here i mean yeah I'm just, i really i always feel like no they need to learn the latin right like the old days yeah and honestly like and i think that one of the biggest mistakes that you can make is not just admit yes i am an ivory tower elitist asshole about some of this i think it's good for people to learn critical languages earlier in life i think it's a valuable skill am i wrong maybe do you need to agree with me no do i think that makes it less valuable fuck you it's kind of how i feel <laughs> yeah. um the the most valuable thing that any teacher ever did to me for me i should say is get me to think uh, about the nature of thinking mm-hmm. um and i think that once you kind of open that can and start to think outside of just here's the thing on the page write in the answer that that was meaningful for me now i chose a path you know what i mean and that path is not true for everybody no judgment there but the idea that we wouldn't at least give people some exposure and the option to that or for that i mean that's yeah i don't, I don't yeah. i'm not fucking for that yeah america um, hey, if you've been listening to this, and this falls squarely in the the category of rant, um, yeah, yeah, for the last however, this has been Tit Magic Bulletfish, right, right, your new favorite podcast. You can send copies of that to our <laughs> PO box. Uh, hey, that's, you, a, that's a great name for a stand. Do you uh, have Do you have that PO box address pulled up? Because you should. While uh, I'm doing our outro, it here. is. Hold on, hold, hold it, wait for it. In the yeah, all right. So, uh, while Caleb looks for our PO box address, because now that we have one, I'm going to remind you that if you've been listening, thank you so much. If you spent any amount of time with the Mix Six podcast, we appreciate it so 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 much, and thank you from all of our from all of us here at the Mix Six. Um, and if you're a patron of any level, thank you even more because you make all of this possible. Um, if you're not following us on Twitter, you should check us out at The Mixed Six. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash The Mixed Six. We have a group and a page. I think most of the conversations headed toward the group these days, but do what you want. Mm-hmm. You can also find us on our website, www.themixsix.com, and now on YouTube, where you can find older episodes of Snippets of Adventure. We'll continue to update those and other one-off videos of us doing just generally stupid things, which is the nature of this whole bit. Feel free to check us out, youtube.com. Go to The Mixed Six page, and we now have a P.O box for those of you wishing to send us stuff a couple people have sent us games i know a couple people have sent us quote-unquote olive oil to try on the air thanks now so much we're for gonna doing get that. box sets of anime for right. the rest of our lives which i appreciate i don't know that i'm gonna read uh, we you, also have you a can PO box. you can send your body pillows to spencer <laughs> at the mix six two one three one west republic road number 101 in springfield missouri six five eight oh seven Thanks in advance for those. Please wash them. <laughs> uh, thanks so much uh, for listening to, to this whole thing or any part of this thing. Once again, I'm Spencer. I'm Caleb. That's producer Ross, and this has been the Mix 6 Podcast. We'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>